Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Online. I'm glad that you guys can make it. Uh, thanks for joining. Um, oh, uh, hold on. funny um instagram always messes up but if not we're gonna just go ahead uh thank you guys for being a part welcome to grape top online um i'm your host homer hargrove <laughs> um today <laughs> um today we're gonna be finishing up our series on why did i do that and this has been a really fun series in april to where we've been um really trying to unpack the motivation that we have for a lot of the things that we do in life, um, some things in, uh, that we're aware of and a lot of things that we're unaware of. And today we're specifically going to be talking about childlike attitude, childlike attitude, which is pretty good segue for me talking about my kids at the beginning, right? Um, and you may have heard the term childlike faith, that we're supposed to have childlike faith. And the more that my kids grow, the more I wonder of how much of that uh of that childlikeness is supposed to be a part of our faith because before I just thought like innocent, you know, easy to believe, you know, you just trust your parents and what they tell you. Um, like my mom used, uh, when she first brought home, uh, my, my sister, when she brought home to my mom, a question from school, she asked, how do, how does thunder and lightning happen? And my mom told her, well, when the clouds hit together, they make a loud noise. <laughs> and, my sister got laughed at at school because she trusted <laughs> the 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 answers so much from her parents, and I always thought that that was like what childlike faith was. Um, but now I wonder if it's supposed to be even like applied to our prayers, to like where we pray and ask without ceasing. Like the Bible says that if we ask God uh, how much uh, it, He likes to give us good gifts, and I wonder, like, my kids ask me for stuff that I don't really want to give them, but they ask me so much that it's, like, annoying to where I just give it to them. And so now my, my faith is growing. Like, maybe that's what my prayers need to be like to God. Like, I just need to annoy him so much to where he's going to just give me what I want. Um, but we're going to really focus on the idea of childlike attitude, and we're going we're gonna to actually reflect and look back at our childhoods to see how it really affects our personhood today. And, and as we look back, I want us all to go back into our memory banks. And this might be uh, triggering for some of you, thinking about uh, your childhood traumas. Um, might, be, uh, might be benefiting to you, just reflecting on things that you admired about your childhood that you like. But what, whatever it is, your childhood affects your worldview in nearly every way. Your childhood affects your worldview in nearly every way. And as a, as a preface to what we're going to talk about today, this actually has been an argument against Christianity. Um, the thought is, the only reason that you're a Christian is because of you being born in America where predominantly Christianity is available. And at first glance, like, oh my gosh, well, maybe my whole faith is meaningless because if I wasn't born in America, would I still be a Christian? Because I wouldn't know about 
that Jesus like I do now, like I wouldn't Christmas wouldn't be normal. It, and that argument at first glance seems to apply. But when you actually unpack the history of Christianity, it it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense if that was the case why Christianity grew uh, when it's when it was birthed. The disciples, a few few people in a completely contrary environment to their faith, grew this world uh, now this this world global religion per se of Christianity in an environment that was completely contrary to uh, everything that they taught and believed. All around them, the the religions were uh, paganism, sexual morality, sacri- uh, child sacrifices, and here they're preaching, I mean, just imagine being in a pagan world where even just like sexuality was a spectrum to where you just have sex with whatever and whoever and you can even worship God like that. Oh wait, that's kind of what it's becoming, right? But imagine that to where sex your sex life could just be fluid with no with no hindrance and you could just have sex all the time and then these guys start coming up to you and saying like no you should only have sex with one person it would be completely contrary who do you think is jumping on that bandwagon in their culture who is like oh hell yeah that's exactly what I was waiting for i'm tired of having no no bridles on my sex life <laughs> no it was completely contrary to the environment, and to the culture, and to everything around them. And they worshiped many gods, multiple gods. And they could, they, their gods, they looked at and literally as a vending machine type to where they would, if they sacrificed their child, literally kill their child, burn their child alive, that their gods would do something good for them. It was a total, like, I can, I can decide what, what happens with me and my God's relationship, rather than, this method where it's like, oh no, it has nothing to do with you. It just has everything to do with Jesus. It was completely contrary to everything uh, in their culture, and yet it grew. Even today, and why, if that was the case that our, our, only our worldview determined our religion, then why are there people in China that are willing to die for their faith when everything around them, if it was relative, everything around them says to worship the the the, the uh, your governmental leaders. It's complete communism, uh, communism at its peak to where they've, uh, China officials have gone into villages and towns, ripped down crosses, ripped down any religious affiliation, and put up their prime ministers in its place, saying, if you want to worship anyone, worship the people that feed you. And in that, in that culture, in that country right now, this is not just like, oh, it, imagination land where we're looking back in time. This is happening right now where people are standing up for their faith in their country when it's completely against their worldview, their, their culture, their, their governmental laws, and they're even being persecuted, they're being condemned, they're being imprisoned, they're being killed, they're being beaten, just for them to deny their faith, and yet they choose not to. And so, again, as a, as a preface, as I'm saying, your childhood affects your worldview in every way, Anyone that tells you that this is the exact reason of the only reason that you're a Christian, it's bogus. It's not real. The whole growth and and furtherment of the gospel has been in 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 land and regions that were completely contrary to the what was being preached. Y'all feel me? Everyone on the same page with that? 
All right, so now that we know that those, uh, anyone that says that doesn't know what they're talking about, um, let's go into taking a step back into just um, our, our down-to-earth look at our childhoods and our personalities and our worldview. And I want, uh, I want to ask you just these a couple of thoughts and questions. And first, I want you, at uh, what age do you think that your personality, attitude, or even your habits begin to form as a child? Think about that for a moment. I was shocked when I first realized that habits that are actually formed for your, for, that can be formed for the, in your entire life into adulthood are usually formed by the age of seven. By the age of seven, you actually have such a, uh, your worldview, your personality, your attitude, how you see others, how um, habits that you form, even just simply brushing your teeth are formed by the age of seven. Extremely young, right? Even before puberty. <laughs> and now take a, let's take a, a de- step further. Did you know that there's been studies that show infants that have been left to cry for, for long periods of time are more prone to anger and aggression uh, behavior issues when they're older. That as an adult, people that struggle, struggle with anger problems it can be linked all the way back to the infantile stage when they were left to cry for long periods of times. So the reason I'm elaborating on this is to show us that all the way to the point of uh, to our infantile stage, I'll go as far to say to how you were born, even your birth, how you're born affects your personality to today. It, my daughter, when she, my daughter Jules, when she was born, she broke her collarbone. It was, it was traumatic. It was scary. She was code blue. It was a, it was a terrifying experience to to have my baby being born and thinking that she was dead. But she healed. She recovered, and I she would we we really tried to baby her when she was an infant because we felt so bad that she, her little collarbone was broken we didn't know if she was crying because it was hurt or if she was crying because she was a baby and having that first experience of of an injury like that being born could you imagine how traumatic that is that girl is relentless <laughs> she's about to be two years old and nothing can stop her she scares me <laughs> she's She's literally a force to be reckoned with. When I put her to sleep, I pray over her and I pray, God, I know that the things that, that irritate me the most about her are actually the strengths that, of this baby. And I can't get her to do anything. <laughs> I was, but I know that she has a relentless spirit and that nothing will stop her as she gets older. Because as soon as she got into this world, she had a fight for her life. Y'all get what I'm saying? That it, it literally starts right away at growing what kind of personhood, uh, personality and attitude that we have. So understanding this, I want us to, to realize that our attitude is a worldview, our attitude in the world. A lot of times we break it up into just having you either have a good attitude or a bad attitude. Your attitude will determine your altitude. You know... <laughs> If you've ever worked in a sales place, that's on the wall. <laughs> but attitude, what I really believe what we're trying to describe when we say our attitude 
It is our worldview that was formed from our childhood upbringings, our childhood traumas, our childhood culture, and even our economic state. Every little piece of our upbringing affects how we see the world, how we react to the world around us. And I want to share this, uh, this story of Ishmael in, in the Bible. In the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 14 through 21. Um, this story of Ishmael, it's actually Abraham's first son. When we ever talk about Abraham in the Bible, the reference is usually made to his son Isaac, who is the promised son. And they, uh, they waited years and years. I think that the ages of Abraham and his wife Sarah, when they finally gave birth to Isaac, they couldn't conceive for years, was uh, over 90 years old. And so it was truly a miracle, an act of God. And he was the long-awaited promise to continue Abraham's lineage, to continue the promise God made to Abraham in creating a people, a nation uh, that would inhabit the earth, which, of course, later leads to the lineage of Jesus, um, in which that promise is truly fulfilled of us all becoming children of God. But look at the son. Uh, let's look at the ending of Isaac's story. Isaac was an attempt to bring about God's promise through Abraham using a surrogate wife, um, a surrogate mother of Sarah's maidservant. And so uh, Abraham and Sarah set up this deal with Hagar for him to have sex with her to bring about a son, a child, so that they could continue the, uh, the promise through him. And um, Isaac was born, but God said, I will bless Isaac, uh, I'll bless Ishmael, yes, but Isaac is the one I really promised you. You try to do it on your, uh, you try to, to earn the promise on your own, but I still have the promise to give you out of grace. But let's read Isaac's, the end of Isaac's, uh, Ishmael's story real quick. So Abraham got up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. At this point, Sarah is kicking Hagar and Ishmael out because Ishmael was making fun of Isaac on his birthday. Um, and at first glance, you're like, that's, that's kind of too far. Uh, I feel like that's exactly how Lauren would be. <laughs> made fun of my kid? Oh, no. <laughs> you can leave. <laughs> At, and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him. About to uh, about a bow shot away, for she said, May not see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and raised her voice and wept. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Get up, lift up the boy, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes. Oh, my bad, guys. <laughs> um, then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. I want us to notice that right there. Ishmael. Ishmael. God was with the boy. And he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and it became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, 
And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So I want us to look at Ishmael's story for a moment because traditionally in churches, the only thing that we hear about Ishmael is that it's a story of a mistake. Ishmael was just a mistake and that all we get are these lessons of how a child like this should have never been born. All we hear about Ishmael is that things would have been so much better if he was gone. Let's just focus on the family and the kids that were planned. Let's focus on the, the, the story that was pretty. Ishmael didn't get to choose his messed up childhood. And his dysfunctional and complicated family uh, affected him. Let's take a moment to look at, at this story and really unpack what we're seeing. What we're, what we're really reading is the first case in Scripture of a single mother that has to take care of her son. In fact, we see the first case of a single mother in poverty that has to take care of her son. In fact, we see the first case of a single mother in poverty that didn't get to grow up with education, that didn't get to grow up with opportunities having to take care of her son. She was a maidservant. What that meant was that she was uh, either a family of slaves, of servants, or she was sold in t uh, to be a maidservant. It, it wasn't like this great profession for her to be a servant of somebody else. And so in her situation, she was at the very bottom and through this complicated series of events, she agreed, and I, I'd imagine that she felt like she didn't have much of a choice, to be the surrogate mother for Sarah. And she obviously loves this, this boy as her own son. And imagine the moments where Ishmael was first born, and even though she loved this son as her own, because it is her son, that he was taken from her arms to be given to Sarah. How much of a voice do you think she had in that? And so the story shows that she grew contempt for Sarah. And that her and Sarah were not getting along at all. <laughs> and so in the moment where Ishmael is now older and Isaac is born, how do you think Ishmael feels being the uh, decided son you're gonna be here but now I don't really want you oh and it all worked out over here so we don't really need you either do you see how all of this in Ishmael's childhood would build up some type of aggression some type of dysfunction and even what I see it says that right before this it says that the reason they kicked him out that uh, made them leave is because he was making fun of Isaac you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that I have a, a traumatic, dark childhood. Um, everyone has issues growing up, but what I've come to know as a youth pastor, and I've worked with students in youth ministry for over 10 years, and what I've come to learn is that usually the darker uh, and more traumatic a childhood is, the more dark humor that child has in order to cope 
with their childhood past. It, it's like when, when you have uh, your dad in prison, kids that have their dad in prison, they usually joke about their dad being in prison. They, they make jokes about their parents not being there in order to cope and be able to laugh at their pain. Y'all get what I'm saying? And what I'm getting at is that in this small glimpse that we see of Ishmael, we see him with a dark humor, we see him with aggression, and we see him with a troubled childhood. And what we're always taught is that he's a loser. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, made fun of his half-brother. I mean, who has not made fun of their, their siblings? Who's ever made fun of their siblings and got kicked out of the house? <laughs> Never to return with just a pack of water on your back. That's tough, right? <laughs> and he, he, we're, we've been teaching in churches that he, it's, he's a loser. He, we shouldn't even think about him. He's just a mistake. They should have never, he should have never been born in the first place. But in the scripture, it says that God was with him. Why do we never read that? Because we like to go over childhood traumas without really going deep. We, we, we like to just focus on our issues and our emotions, and we don't really want to look at anything more uh, dark than what we've gone through because then we would have to feel a little bit uh, better about ourselves because we can't feel pitiful for ourselves because there's actually people that have it worse. Y'all get what I'm saying? This is a dark story and in churches we only make it a pretty story. We just want to graze over it and not talk about what's really happening and act like it's not there. And if I could just kind of go off topic as a church as like a Christian Christian body of Christ, I feel, and I feel like a lot of people would agree, that we need to stop playing pretend and stop playing putting on our Sunday suit and acting like everything is pretty and actually get our hands dirty as Christians. When I would, uh, even with when I would work with Youth for Christ, the place that we're able to meet with right now, I. I would, I would go and volunteer at the City Life Center, which is on the west side, kids that no one wants to go uh, volunteer at. The only people that volunteer at that site, because most of them are in poverty and it's just troubled situations with troubled kids, are kids that have graduated and can now volunteer. There's practically no adults there. But you know where there was a lot of adults to volunteer at? Brandeis High School. There's plenty of adults that would volunteer there. They, they, they would show up and it was just so easy to talk to these kids because it was easier to identify with somebody that didn't go through uh, worse struggles than you. But when you go to a place where uh, you, you feel almost guilty for having, uh, having known your parents, it's a different experience. I would go to Holmes High School and... All, all of the volunteers that would go there would usually last about one semester. Those kids are just troubled. The difference between Brandeis and Holmes is that Brandeis, they live in houses, and at Holmes, they live in apartments. Different upbringings, different childhoods, but it affects you. 
And going back to this story, even though it's widely taught as a mistake story that we never really want to talk about in church because it's kind of ugly and, you know, just we don't want to go there. Isn't it no wonder why so many people uh, are scared to have unplanned pregnancies? Isn't it no wonder why people are pushed to just get an abortion? Because, I mean, everything that we've taught in church is that that's a mistake. We like to go and act like we're big advocates of being pro-life. We, oh, the, the baby is at, con- at conception, it's life. But then we teach in our churches that it's all a mistake and you should have never opened your legs in the first place. Guys, this is bullcrap. If we want to really act like that, we need to start teaching the realness of Scripture. And the truth is, for this church, we believe in life at conception and that every pregnancy is beautiful, no matter if it was planned or not. You know how frustrating it is when we were youth pastors and a teenager would get pregnant and we were the first ones to actually congratulate them? Teenagers getting pregnant and all they've had is people tell them how disappointed they are. Maybe just because me and my wife had uh, miscarriages and we were trying to get pregnant, we knew how special it was for it to actually happen. But to have a teenager start crying and saying, you're the only person that has congratulated me. And they're in church, in the youth group, go every single week. And all it is is a disappointment. Wow, you made a mistake. The only difference is that their quote-unquote mistake is able to be easily seen while yours is not. Y'all did what I'm saying? And when it comes to childhood traumas, before we, we get sucked into our own childhood traumas and dig so far deep to where we, we make something out of nothing, Honestly, we make a lot of our childhood traumas big deals when it was not even a big deal. There's, there's real things that, that, that we go through, but there's a lot of things that we've just fabricated. And if we want to look into our own emotional issues, we have to be willing to comprehend and share the perspective of other childhood traumas. We have to, before we throw our own pity parties, we have to be willing to celebrate somebody else's pity party. Y'all get what I mean? Ishmael, even though all of this is surrounding Ishmael and his situation, it says that God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. And even though it's been taught as the biggest mistake story, it's actually a true underdog story. Being sent out with nothing, a water pack. And the story goes on to say that he became a skilled archer. He, at a young age, he was providing for his mother. He started providing for his family with the only thing that he knew what he had. And he had that aggression, that determination that was birthed in him because of his childhood. And having to fight for whatever he could as a kid caused him to to be able to use that. God helped him to be able to use that and, and put it towards archery to where he was able to make a life for him and his mom. And it said that... It, they were in the wilderness, and his mother ended up finding a wife for him in the land of Egypt. And their gen- his generation actually never stops. 
His lineage never stops either. The same promise that was to, to Isaac about him being a, a father of nations, God still honored that promise to Ishmael too. And I want us to just take a moment to see this underdog story that came from Ishmael come from extreme poverty, directionless parenting, wandering. I mean, guys, I'm, I'm just, I, I feel like I'm almost, I'm almost off topic because of this is a passionate subject for me. How judgmental are we towards parents? I mean, I notice that people, the most judgmental people uh, uh, against parents are people that are not parents. And we, people, we fabricate these ideas of what the perfect parenting should be like. Hagar didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do when, her, when she didn't have any, uh, any food or water or money for her son. And they were wandering in the, in the wilderness. And so often people have kids and they don't have any support, any help from any of their family, their community. Most of them don't even have family. And they're wandering in life. If there's any place that they should be able to find direction, it should be from God, right? It says that, the, that God's an angel to give her some direction. And when people show up to church, there's no direction given often. It's just dis displacement, judge, feeling judged. It, and there's just no direction. And we just want to keep giving these pretty little sermons that are, are not even edifying. Don't give any impact don't want to help or get our hands dirty and people are wondering and all we do is sit back and just judge them like oh, I can't believe they're doing that it's not easy it's not easy but God is with them even when they're not looking was she looking for God no did she do you think she was just so happy with the God of Abraham you think she was so well pleased and and hopeful in her faith with the God of Abraham. But yet God saw her even when he, she wasn't looking for him. And he was with them. And he helped guide and direct. And if we, could, if we really want to act like Christ, we need to start behaving like Christ. And be compassionate instead of judgmental. Now that I got all that off my chest. All right. I want us to, to take a moment and look inward. Look back at your childhood and reflect. Reflect at your childhood and see all the little pieces that have been building to who you are right now. I remember a moment that I, I shared this story before, but one moment where we were getting out of the car. We had a long day at the park. We had our teenagers with us. We had a baby with us. And and I remember we were all hungry and Lauren was getting out of the car and she said, oh man, I can't wait to make a sandwich. And I said, oh, are you going to make me one too? And she laughed and said, you can make your own sandwich. <laughs> and out of nowhere, I felt all this rage come over me <laughs> to a point where I got so mad and I didn't do anything or say anything, but I felt all this anger inside of me to a point where I asked myself, why am I this angry? Why am I this angry? Because I knew that the what was the situation shouldn't make me that angry. And I had to literally sit there and think about it. And what I realized is that I was connecting that moment 
to, to my own childhood experience of, of, of feelings of neglect, of not being cared for, not having food, and, and just the, the thought of uh, all the times as a kid having to, to either steal my own food or make my own food. And like that moment of that, that feeling of knack, lack as a child transferred all the way as an adult to my wife saying, you can make your own sandwich. <laughs> And just in that moment, I saw how powerful our childhood traumas are, our childhood experiences are, to where the emotions that we feel even now as adults are often connected to things that we've experienced in our childhood. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, it's the way that we see money, the way that we handle money is, is totally based off of how we saw our parents handle money or how we had to handle money as kids y'all feel me everything is summed up in what you've experienced as a child and a big one that is again another subject that's not talked about within churches is even the way that we view sex and all sexual interaction and behavior sexuality is summed up in things that we've experienced as kids did you know that this statistic is, is a little foggy in my mind, but it, it's between 80 and 90% of uh, child predators are, were molested or uh, sexually abused when they were kids. Do you see how what happened to them affected them when they're older? Does it, does it excuse it? Of course not. But what I'm trying to just get a very clear image of is that everything that we experience as children affect us as adults everything so now that we understand that when we look back we see we're we're literally a sculpted image of how we were treated how we were raised what we've gone through and experienced that we're truly like almost uh like um uh land uh, land uh land monuments of things that have uh, when you look at um a hill or a mountain, it's been formed and weathered by the rains and the storms that have been around it, and it's been created by its environment. So it is with us as people in our childhoods. But now, I want us to just loosen up. Let's loosen up a bit, because you always have a choice of what kind of person you want to be. No matter what your childhood was, how traumatic it was, you always have a choice of what kind of person you want to be. I, I love this, this story of uh, there's a, a guy that was at a bar just drinking and drinking and drinking, getting so drunk that he couldn't even stand up. And the bartender asked him, hey man, how, how come you drink so much? And he said, because my father drank. Finally, he passed out, couldn't even drive home. And so he said, is there anybody to call? He gave him another uh, a number. His twin brother ended up showing up to pick him up. His twin brother was completely sober. And the bartender asked, hey man, do you drink? He said, no, I, I don't drink at all. He said, how come you don't drink? He said, because my father drank. And see, we can go through the same experiences as someone else. But what we choose is what determines what kind of person we become. It's, it's not what happens to us in life but how we react to what happens to us in life. And 
And I'm not going to share all the scripture because it's a lot, but in the book 1 Samuel, we see very interesting story of a young man named Samuel that was literally given to the temple to be a servant for his entire life. And he was raised in the temple. Let's say, let's just replace temple with church, okay? So he was raised in the church his entire life as a servant. And the 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 prophet or priest of, of the time was named Eli. He had two sons who were also raised in the temple, the church, the entire their entire lives. The Bible says that Samuel he ministered as a servant of the temple faithfully. And he was so faithful that God chose him and spoke to him. God chose to speak to him even over the prophet Eli. And Samuel ended up becoming his replacement and became the, the prophet of the land, became very great and renowned because God chose him and he was raised in that temple and he loved that temple. Eli's sons, who were also raised in that temple, had disdain for their childhood. They hated that they were raised there and they would steal offerings from the people. They would sexually harass the other female servants. And they were so bad that God made a judgment against them that they would be killed. <laughs> and that they would not have any heirs to, to continue their priesthood. That, they, that not, they wouldn't have any children of their own to become priests next. Because God didn't want any of their lineage to continue in the priesthood. Because of how badly and wicked they acted. Both of these stories were raised in church. But both had completely different outcomes because of what kind of person they decided to each be. It's, it's something almost sobering to realize that even if you have anger problems, it's part of your choice. That's a hard thing to swallow. Hey, I broke both my hands multiple times growing up because of my anger problems. But there's a moment where I had to swallow my childhood and decide what kind of person I wanted to be. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And with everything that we experience in life, we have to learn how to just really shake off the storms that we go through and decide what kind of person we want to be. We have to learn how to loosen up and decide what kind of person we want to become. And the moment that we accept that we always have a choice is the moment that you can implement a value that's actually a value of our church, and that is one decision makes a difference. One decision makes a difference. And we can truly use any childhood experience as an excuse to behave however we feel inclined. Well, I had a really rough childhood, so this is just how I am. It wasn't easy for me, so that's why I'm just rude. You know, that's not an excuse. There's a moment where you have to decide to be an adult, to be mature, you know what maturity is? Accepting responsibility. 
And the, the, the first step in becoming mature is accepting responsibility for your own actions. And we have to just loosen up and understand that, yes, we are inclined to behave a certain way because of what we have experienced. For me, let, uh, I'm being very transparent because I don't want to use hypotheticals. I want to be really raw with you guys. For me, I was exposed to pornography at a very young age. I was uh, under five years old. And after that, pornography was just always readily available. I was molested when I was 14. Uh, I, I, had, I had sex when I was 13, 14. I don't even know. And it just all happened at a young age. And it happened really fast. And if I were to hold on to those experiences, I could use them as excuses like, well, it's really hard for me to not look at porn because of the way I grew up. It's really hard for me to not act out sexually because of the way I grew up, the, the things that happened to me, the things that I experienced. But the reality is that I have a choice and it it does take more strength to to break out of the chains that other people try to put on you being molested at a young age at 14 being able to comprehend everything is not easy it's very damning it's very brutal and it does take a strength to break off those chains that other people try to put on you but you have the strength within you and you have a choice to search for that strength. It's almost like you know that you have the strength there. You have to understand you know it. And no matter how many times you try to bust out and fail, you have to just try again. Knowing within yourself that you have a decision to make and that that one decision, even that one time makes a difference. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Loosen up. What that really means is take off the chains of your traumas, your childhood. Take off the chains of your parents, of that uncle, that aunt, that whoever, whatever, that teacher that called you dumb. Take off those chains. Loosen them off of you because they don't get to decide what kind of person you are. You do. You have that choice. You don't have anything to prove to them. It's you. You have the choice. They do not control you. You are a free person. So loosen off the chains. There's no lock on those chains. Just loosen off and decide what kind of person you want to be. And now I want us to look again at our childhood. With this perspective that I am not determined by what other people have done to me. Now I want us to look back again at our childhoods. And understand that your attitude can either ruin or redeem any experience. Your attitude, your perspective, can either ruin or redeem any experience that you had as a kid, any experience that you have as an adult. 
I want us to take a final look at Joseph. Joseph is a really popular person in the Bible to where his brothers sold him into slavery. Then he was falsely accused of rape and was imprisoned. And then one day he just, after being in prison for years and years and years, uh, he uh, explained a dream to Pharaoh and became the second in charge of the, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And he went, he's always known for being the, from the prison to the palace. And in a moment where his brothers come, not realizing who he is, come and beg him for food, even though they once had power over him, so they thought, now he has power over them to even give them food. And as at, later on in the story, their father dies, and they come begging Joseph for mercy and forgiveness, begging him not to kill them. And this is what Joseph responded to them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. And I want us to unpack this scripture for a moment. Even though Joseph was given an incredibly unfair childhood experience, he was able to see God's potential and power to turn it into something good. Something to strengthen him rather than to destroy him. And our attitudes either make us or break us, not our experiences. If there's anyone that we could look at in scripture, Joseph would truly be a person that we could look at as being someone that was broken by his experiences. He just couldn't get a leg up. One thing to be sold into slavery by your own siblings but then to make the best of it and become the best servant, the best slave that you could be at the, the person's house, the government official's house that bought him, only to have an accusation, a false accusation of him trying to rape her, his wife. I mean, doing your very best and then getting knocked all the way back down again, being, being thrown into prison, no parole, no nothing. You're just going to sit there and you're going to rot. And as he's waiting there, he still managed to offer his services to the guard that was watching over him to the point where the guard put him in charge of the other prisoners. He literally said, is there anything? Imagine being in prison. You go in and giving people their slop. And then one of the prisoners says, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Imagine getting a beating, a whipping from this guard and saying, the next day, is there anything that I can do for you? Joseph is a, a, a lunatic, a madman. That is, is almost like it's impossible for him to hold a grudge. It doesn't even say in the story that he brought judgment against Potiphar's wife. It never references him getting revenge ever. Because instead of holding on to the grudge... He looked at it as an opportunity that God was giving him to strengthen himself, to strengthen his character, to be better. And I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm, I feel like I can resort back to a violent nature real quick. I mean, for him to continually try to, to see the positive, at some point, it's almost like you, you're just like, dude, just give up, okay? And 
this part where it says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want us to understand what he's really saying. Because the Bible says that God has plans of good and not for evil for you. And so some people have taught this story that, that God uh, hardened his brother's hearts and, and that God wanted him to be sold into slavery, that God wanted him to go to prison, that God wanted all these things to happen. Well, that's contradictory to what the Bible says other places in Scripture. It says that God has plans of good and not of evil. And what, what we're seeing is he's saying, you meant it for evil, but God was able to turn it into good. God was able to turn every weapon you formed against me into something good. Now that's a scripture. And what I want us to grab out of this is that God doesn't have purpose for us to experience pain. But God will put purpose to the pain that we experience. He will be able to make a story out of that pain. But it's, it can only happen if we go to God to look back, to look again at whatever we experience and add the power of God to it. We have a value to never assume a result without, the, without adding the power of God to it first. With your childhood traumas, your childhood upbringing, whatever it is that you're thinking about throughout this message, do not assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. And, and no matter what you've gone through, God can turn it into good. And I'll go as far to say that it's if we bring our experiences to Jesus, even our miserable, broken ones, He's able to redeem it and turn it into something beautiful. And I, I actually hesitated when I was preparing this lesson to say something beautiful. Because there's some really ugly, ugly experiences that people face. And I was hesitant to have anyone believe that traumatic, ugly, nasty thing that happened to them is actually something beautiful. What happened to you is not beautiful at all. But God can turn even the, the ashes of something burned down into something beautiful. And I'll use the story that I'm referencing for me. Let's, let me just share. Being molested was not something beautiful. It was ugly. It was morbid. And it took me years. It took me six years to ever even tell anybody that something happened to me. And it was my wife. It was right after we got married. And she's the first person I ever told. And I, I tried to just press it down for so long. And it just started attributing to my rage, my aggressions, my addictions. And I finally told her. And it did not feel beautiful at that moment either. The only thing I ever said before I told her about it was the next day as I was walking with a friend of mine, we were going somewhere and he referenced the night before. And I said, if I ever see that guy again, I'm going to kill him. He said, why? <laughs> I had no idea what, what happened. And I didn't say anything else. I said, I'm just going to kill him. And 
For years and years, it was never something beautiful. It was still that ugly, ugly thing that happened to me. I remember being a youth pastor and the church that we were serving at going through a new um, a uh, we had uh, as volunteers, they're going to start putting everyone through um, her, uh, like childhood abuse training. And so all the volunteers had to go through this, uh, this abuse training so that we'd be able to, uh, you know, say that everyone was trained and that, you know, what to look for and watch out for stuff like that. And I remember as an, as a, uh, as an idiot, I always sit in the front row and I was in the front row and it started going over, uh, statistics of, uh, of children being sexually abused. And then it started just, you know, like giving all those numbers and statistics and, and even some case stories. And I started having a panic attack. I started having all this anxiety built up because I hadn't, I still had not addressed it for so long. I just, you know, I told my wife, that was it. I don't need to really ever talk about it again. And I started, it started triggering me so much to where I was shaking in the front row. <laughs> There's, this is a 500 member church. So the room was pretty full of, of volunteers. <laughs> and I'm having like this breakdown in the front row, uncontrollably shaking because I'm trying not to freak out and let and reveal that I'm not able to breathe. And it was just another moment where it was incredibly ugly. And I remember this, this older lady coming up. And I don't know if she knew what, what was happening or not, but she just put her hand on my shoulder and just rested it there for a minute. Didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything. But I remember at that moment, I felt God's comfort. And as I was still trying to stop my body from shaking and stop breathing, I just started having tears stroll down my face. And for the first time since that encounter, there was a moment that started to show a glimpse of beauty because God was able to comfort me in my pain. Then some time later went on and I was going through a lot of inner healing and really learning how to address it and how to conquer it all the, and really be able to talk about it. And I remember the first time that I shared to this big youth event that we had, we called it a lock-in and we had uh, almost a hundred kids that would come from around the, the, the city that we lived in. And I gave this, this message. I think it was a message where I talked about being a runaway. How we try to run away from life and things. And in that message, I shared what happened to me. I, it was the first time I shared publicly about being molested. And I don't even know what I said, but I said something that I wanted it to be meaningful and, and possibly healing for somebody else there. Because the statistics are one out of every four, four girls is molested and one out of every nine boys is molested. And I remember afterwards we had this prayer time and this little girl came up and, and, uh, and she wanted prayer. And I said, what can I pray for? And, and she said that that happened to her. She was molested and she just started crying and crying. And she said, and for the first time, I actually feel like God healed me from it. For the first time, I feel like God can comfort me through it. And she was just crying. And it was the first time she ever talked about it. First time that she ever could uh, say anything about it. And she was just saying, thank you for sharing it. It brought so much healing to me today. 
And it was a moment to where I really saw how a painful experience becomes something beautiful. And I share all of this to urge you to whatever childhood trauma, whatever childhood experience, economic state, anything, even as an adult, that has happened to you and that has made a negative impact on your life. You have a choice. You are not determined by what other people have done to you. You're not determined by your situations. You're not determined by things outside of your control. You decide what kind of person you want to be. And you can look at that again. And when you add the power of God to it, you, it can truly redeem any experience. It can redeem any experience. If we allow God in. That being said, I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. And as you're, as you're thinking for a moment, I want you to have a moment where you're just starting to focus your attention on Jesus, on God. And I want to share this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Jesus, we are truly new. We are able to be truly new. Nothing in our past can stick to us. For some of us, it's truly like we were once dead and now we are alive. As I am sharing everything that we talked about today, if you're here and you just know that you need to have this experience with God. You need to have a moment where you trust in Jesus. You make, need to make a decision to really make Jesus your life. To make Him your Lord and your Savior. And you want to start following after Him. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He said He is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. I believe that it is such a powerful meaning when it says saved, because it's not just from eternity, but it's truly saved in this life as well. It's where all of the death we've been carrying on our shoulders is able to be shaken off of us, and we're able to become alive in Him. It'll become new creation in Him. And if that's you and you're here today with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see all your hands. I want you to just talk to God right where you're at. Just talk to Jesus right where you're at. Because you need to have the first moment to realize that you do not need another person to lead you to Jesus, that He's actually right in front of you. He's walking with you before you got here. He's been ready to receive you. And instead of me leading you through a prayer, I want you to have your own personal conversation with Him right now where you're at.
because that's where it starts is you talking to him yourself and as you're doing that I feel like there's a lot of us here that need to have a conversation with God about things that we've never talked about things that have changed us and affected us in our lives and our childhoods that we never talked to God about and right now I feel like there's a lot of us that you just need to talk to Jesus right now and just tell him what happened to you. You need to tell him what happened to you. You need to tell him how it made you feel, how it affected you. You need to have a real conversation with your Creator. Have an, a genuine moment where you're sharing your heart with Him. God, I pray that you speak to your people right now. I pray that you cover them, that you affirm them, and that you cause them to hear clearly what you have to say. I pray that you make them sensitive to your voice and that you make it very clear to them. There's so many people that are telling you right now things that they haven't told anyone, things that they've just never told you. And I pray that you would finish the work that you started in them and that you would redeem whatever experience they're sharing with you. That you would heal whatever experience they're sharing with you. That you would break the chains of whatever experience that they're sharing with you. In the same kind of tone and reverence, I want us to go into a time of worship and as we do, we're going to sign off online. Um, thank you guys for being a part. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.